Hello and welcome to Bite Size History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about probably one of the most widespread, most widely produced, iconic firearms in the history of our planet. That is to say, the AK-47, a weapon of Soviet make. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about the AK-47 today on Bite Size History. I was thinking, and what better way to introduce this topic than with a monologue from the film Lord of War? So in the movie Lord of War, Nicolas Cage plays an arms dealer called Yuri Orlov. And there's a scene where he's reminiscing about the meaning of the AK-47. So I've got a quote for you. And I think it really captures everything that I would like to say about the AK-47. Quote, Of all the weapons in the vast Soviet arsenal, nothing was more profitable than Avtomat Kalashnikova model of 1947. More commonly known as the AK-47 or Kalashnikov, it is the world's most popular assault rifle, a weapon all fighters love. An elegantly simple nine-pound amalgamation of forged steel and plywood. It doesn't break, jam, or overheat. It'll shoot whether it's covered in mud or filled with sand. It's so easy, even a child can use it. And they do. The Soviets put the gun on a coin. Mozambique put it on their flag. Since the end of the Cold War, the Kalashnikov has become the Russian people's greatest export. After that comes vodka, caviar, and suicidal novelists. One thing is for sure, no one was lining up to buy their cars." End quote. So that's a quote from the movie Lord of War, character Yuri Orlov, played by Nicolas Cage, talking about the meaning, the significance of the AK-47. Okay, now that we've got the ball rolling, let me hit you with some facts about the AK-47 from Encyclopedia Britannica, obviously a source that I trust. Um, the AK-47 was adopted by the Soviet military in 1949, so despite it being a 1947 model, it was, quote, recognized as being simple to operate, rugged, reliable under trying conditions, and amenable to mass production, end quote. It fired a 7.62 millimeter round and had a muzzle velocity of 700 meters per second. It had a cyclic firing rate of 600 rounds per minute and was capable of both semi-automatic and automatic fire. Now that firing rate of 600 rounds per minute, you're not gonna be firing 600 rounds per minute because the magazine only held 30 rounds. When I say only, like that's still a lot. Um, what it did is it had two stocks that were available, one with a wooden stock and the other one, which was called the AKS, uh, that had a folding metal stock. So these are just some of the basic details of this uh, weapon. There were later versions that uh, came along. So starting in 1959, the AK-47 was replaced by the AKM, and this was a version that was brought up to speed with the realities of the 1950s. It had longer range sights, cheaper mass-produced parts, 
Um, the sheet metal receiver was made of stamped steel, and the buttstock and forward grip were made of plywood. So that's where I think you're getting that kind of plywood reference in the Lord of War quote. The, one of the chief disadvantages of this weapon was the heavy, heavy recoil. So it fired a powerful round, and because the gun didn't weigh, you know, 12, 15 pounds or whatever, it had a substantial uh, recoil. So what does it mean, what does the Kalashnikov mean um, politically for people around the world? Um, the Kalashnikov kind of has a reputation as a weapon used by freedom fighters, uh, terrorists, guerrilla armies, nationalist movements. Um, like the quote said, it's on the coat of arms of numerous countries uh, and it's on the flag of Mozambique. Uh, this is a, a quote that I found interesting because I actually thought it was more. Um, quote, it has been estimated that some hundred million AKs have been produced, fully half of them outside Russia, and many of those under expired Soviet-era licenses or no license at all. A full range of weapons that can trace their design history back to the AK-47 are produced by the Izmash Armaments Company, company in Izhevsk, Russia, end quote. So those are just uh, some more basic details. The AK-47, like I said, it, it kind of has this reputation as being, I don't want to say like a counterculture weapon, but definitely favored by, uh, like I said, freedom fighters, terrorists, guerrilla movements, stuff like that, like people who kind of want to upset the status quo. It has a reputation of being this rugged kind of underdog weapon uh, that focuses more on reliability and the availability of spare parts. Uh, those aspects are favored over things like performance, uh, which is, you know, that's kind of the classic difference in the ideology of, let's say, the American armed forces and the Russian armed forces traditionally. Like, I don't know how still true this is today, but the Russian armed forces tend to prioritize things that are rugged, can take a beating, and are reliable under all circumstances, whereas American weapons like to push the envelope into, like, ever-escalating heights of performance. So, you know, faster uh, projectile speeds, uh, more ammunition fired in the air, um, a higher firing rate, like just things like that. So when they, they work, they work really, really well. Uh, a good example of this was um, the conflict that took place in the 60s and 70s, which is known in the States as the Vietnam War. The North Vietnamese were using AK-47s in the jungle and the American forces were using M-16s. And I'm not going to go into all the merits and disadvantages of either weapon, but I think if you want to compare the ideology, the kind of thought process between making these weapons, you can look at the conflict in Vietnam and the fact that AK-47s were used against M-16s. Now let's take a moment to talk about the guy who developed this weapon, the guy who started it all. So this is uh, from military.com. The inventor was a guy named Senior Sergeant Mikhail Kalashnikov. Now, apparently he was a T-34 tank commander 
uh, in the Red Army during World War II. Now, the T-34 was one of the most mass-produced battle tanks of the war, again, admired for its ruggedness and reliability. And so this guy was a tank commander during the war. Um, according to the story, there he encountered late in the war assault rifles that were developed by the Axis forces. So the Germans actually pioneered, among other things, um, the assault rifle in the closing years of World War II. I mean, they pioneered other stuff like rocketry and stuff, but uh, that's beyond the scope of this episode. Now, it took Kalashnikov five years of tinkering uh, before he made his, his famous weapon, and he modeled it on Germany's Sturmgewehr 44. <laughs> Do you like my German accent? Sturm means uh, storm or shock, and Gewehr means rifle, and 44 means the year. So the Sturmgewehr 44 was used by elite Axis troops late in the war, and according to this article, it was the first real mid-range infantry rifle, assault rifle, and it didn't actually shoot a heavy round, but it could spray bullets like nobody's business. Um, uh, Somewhat similar to the Thompson the Thompson submachine gun um, that was used by the, the the Americans. Now, the difference is the Thompson round was a 45 shell, uh, which is really, really heavy and was much heavier than the Sturmgewehr. Now, the, the, this article says, like, we know this already, the true brilliance of Kalashnikov's invention was its simplicity. Uh, it was designed to be easy to use, easy to repair, easy to unjam, easy to maintain. And... If a round is chambered in an AK-47, according to this article, chances is good that the weapon uh, is going to fire. Now, like I've seen movies, I've read articles that apparently freedom fighter movements or anti-government forces in places like Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, stuff like that, uh, when they didn't want to be caught with a weapon, you could literally bury it in the sand and then you could unbury it and it would still work. Like obviously you had to like brush off the sand and stuff, but how crazy is that? The AK-47, let's get into why it was so reliable and why and what what kind of effect this had on the weapon. Now this is from McGill uh, university. They say that, quote, its ruggedness and reliability are legendary. Okay, we know that. The large gas piston, generous clearances between moving parts, and tapered cartridge case, case design allow the gun to endure large amounts of foreign matter and fouling without failing to cycle. This reliability comes at the cost of accuracy, as the looser tolerances do not allow the precision and consistency that are required of more accurate firearms. Reflecting Soviet infantry doctrine of its time, the rifle is meant to be part of massed infantry fire, not long-range engagements, end quote. So you can see, again, that difference between the AK-47 and, for example, the M16. I I don't think anybody would dispute that the M16 was actually more uh, reliable. Like I said, that that kind of emphasis on performance over reliability. Here's some more facts for you. 
The weight, uh, we know this is nine to nine and a half pounds. The length, 870 millimeters. So this gun is 34 and a quarter inches long. And the barrel is 415 millimeters or 16.3 inches long. We covered the muzzle velocity and stuff like that, but what's the range on this thing? So the range, if you look at the history of firearms, you know, the range is all over the place from the black powder muskets of the American Revolution that had a, an effective range of less than 100 meters to the bolt action, smokeless powder rifles of the First World War where you could hit something at like a thousand yards. Uh, the, the effective range of the AK-47 is about 300 meters or 330 yards. And standard stock weapons came with two different magazines. We've already mentioned the 30-round detachable uh, box magazine. There's also what's, what's called the banana magazine, like the curved one. It was also available with a 75-round drum magazine. Um, it had adjustable iron sights. Now, there was an optional mount that was required for optical sights. So you could put a sight on it, but I don't really know why you would. It's not exactly a sniper-type weapon. Like, I don't know how suitable it would be for sharpshooters. Um, so that's kind of some of the, the basic details I wanted to cover about uh, the AK-47. Private ownership of this gun is tightly regulated by the National Firearms Act of 1934 in the United States. The Gun Control Act of 1967 stopped importing foreign manufactured fully automatic firearms for civilian sales and, and possession. Uh, there were amendments and, and stuff like that. So today you still can have um, you know, an AK-47, depending on what state you're in. Several states have laws on the books that outlaw um, private possession of fully automatic firearms weapons, even with National Firearms Act uh, authorization, like approval. Uh, and certain semi-automatic models were banned by the now expired assault weapons ban of 1994 to 2004. Now that was... Um, Clinton put that in, in, in 1994, and it was allowed to lapse in 2004. Um, there's a bunch of information here about, like, all the other countries, but basically what you need to know is in most Western countries, no, you're not allowed to have an AK-47. So, sorry. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for us here today at Bite Size History. Uh, we covered the nuts and bolts, no pun intended, of the AK-47. Again, one of the most iconic and well-known and influential firearms of all time. I hope you learned something. This has been Bite Size History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review on Spotify. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.